I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. From sweet-scented honeysuckle to show-stopping clematis and deep green ivy. In this week's show, we are celebrating climbing plants. And we'll start by talking about a favourite among gardeners everywhere, the wonderful wisteria. We associate them with beautiful artwork, with Japanese gardens, with Chinese gardens, with that big, long, pendant flower. When there's scent as well, I mean, there is just something quite whimsical, quite magical about it. Then we'll hear about some of the amazing qualities of good old ivy. Something that can be a house plant, it can be a climber, it can be a shrub, and it's good for wildlife. What more could you ask for? And get advice on how you can use them at home in creative ways. They had this old wrought iron bed and they had grown sweet peas all over the frame, tied it in. It looks stunning. Plus, we'll talk about how to care for them so you get a spectacular display year after year. So, there's lots to clamour through in this week's edition of Gardening with the RHS. I'm Verity Bradbury, and in my job as team leader at RHS Garden Wisley, I use climbers all the time. We're actually standing on seven acres at the moment by the pond, and it's a gorgeous sunny morning, and around the pond we've got plantings of gunnera and osmunda fern, and it's looking really, really nice. Also in the distance, I can see Clematis winter beauty, which although not flowering at the moment, it's still great. One of the most loved is the wisteria, and they deserve to be well loved. They are versatile and spectacular. Not only are the flowers amazing, but the thick twisting stems of older plants are very dramatic too. They're a big hit here at Wisley as well, so much so that we've even created a whole area dedicated to them. Let's head there now. My name's Matthew Pottage and I'm the curator here at RHS Garden Wisley. And if you know the gardens or you know our podcast, you know this isn't the oldest feature ever. I think this is in about year three or four now. I don't know, time flies, doesn't it? And we are still really formatively training the wisteria. So they've not covered every bar on the structure. Some of them have got to the top and some are only about halfway there. We've picked two varieties here at Wisley. We've got Royal Purple and we've got kimono. Kimono is a whiter, later flowered one, and the royal purple is a deep, traditional looking, good purple wisteria. They both have brilliant scent, they both have long racemes, which is why we chose them for this structure. So if you've been to Wisley, you've seen our wisterias, and you think, absolutely, this is great, I want to have some of this at home. When you're choosing your wisteria, always go for a grafted plant. 
And of course, by grafted, I mean you've got a rootstock and then a scion wood. So basically another piece of plant is spliced, is attached into a root. So what you're getting is the top part of that plant. So the roots are just seedlings. They're kind of a, a non-event for you. They're just going to keep the plant rooted in the ground, but it's all about the scion, the top part. So you get grafted apple trees, grafted pear trees, and it's the same with wisterias as well. And of course, the way to tell this, if you're looking at a plant thinking, well, I'm not sure about this, if you look towards the base, you can normally see a graft union. If it was quite recently grafted, it might have a bit of a rubber band around it or a bit of wax to protect that. So you often have a bit of a bump or a lump and that's fine, don't worry about it. If you can, buy it in flower as well so you can see exactly what you're getting. You know it's going to flower and you can see the colour, you can even sniff it and check the scent. If you're in a very late frost prone site, grow it against a sunny wall because the wall protection will protect the flower buds from the frost. If that's not an option and you want to grow it, say, in a more open part of your garden but you get late frosts, go for one of the white varieties because they flower later. So one of the last ones to flower is good old Alba, which has been around forever and that's just a bit safer for the frost. If you plant them on a, a north or east facing wall, the flowers do last longer because they don't get cooked in the heat and the sun, but the flowers are never as profuse. If you have it on a sunnier wall, more profuse flowers, but they go over quicker. So there we go, pluses and minuses on both situations. If you don't have a very large wall and you're inspired by wisteria, the wisteria floribundas and the sinensis, these Asian species, they are very vigorous. They are, you know, they're hungry, thirsty plants. They grow quickly and they can grow large. So if you have a good space, a good high wall, fantastic. And you will need to follow the pruning regime to keep it in check. If you only have a small wall, if you can find a sunny, warm wall, the wisteria I'd recommend is Wisteria frutescens, which is the American native. Thanks, Matt. The archway described there is just one of the many ways you could use different structures to display climbers. Pergolas, trellis, just up a wall, the possibilities are endless. I also mentioned briefly before the Clematis Winter Beauty that is on the trellis over the ugly electrical box. Although it's not doing its thing right now, when it flowers in the winter, the flowers are beautiful creamy white bells. And same as the other winter flowering Clematis, which all hang down, if you can get them in a position where you can look up into them, it is the best way to observe them and enjoy them. So to make sense of all the options, I spoke to garden designer Flo Headlam. So my first question for you today, Flo, is what climbers are you particularly enjoying at the moment? Well, I've just actually this year for the first time planted Thumbergia alata, the black-eyed Susan. I just wanted a little pop of colour in a part of my garden that was kind of not really saying much. And my particular one is our orangey yellow colour. And the thing about the black-eyed Susan is that dark, almost black centre so I'm enjoying that honeysuckle honeysuckle is just you know wonderful at this time of the year and there's so many different varieties so most people are probably aware that climbers are great candidates to go up a fence or a wall and in fact one way we demonstrate this at Wisley is with various different plantings of Parthenocissus uh, we have them growing up buildings and boundary fences what are some of the more unusual ways that you've seen climbers displayed? Well, just the other day, actually, a new client of mine, she had a 
hydrangea petiolaris. She had it growing as a hedge. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So um, she's got a Victorian house and she's got a bay on the ground floor. And it was growing as quite a thick, substantial hedge, you know, underneath the windowsill. And it stopped me in my tracks. And it was very, very impressive. So I think that's, yeah. that's probably the most unusual way I've seen that plant grown. I was at a National Garden Scheme garden a couple of years ago, and this was a very big garden. So they had lots of space to be quite sort of creative and, and indulge their fantasy. And they had this old wrought iron bed and they had grown sweet peas all over the frame, tied it in. It looked stunning. That's lovely, isn't it? And then with sweet peas, you can cut them and bring them inside and enjoy them when you're even not in the garden. Yes. Although gardens are increasingly popular they are also getting increasingly smaller are there any fun or exciting ways to make use of climbers in a small space in small spaces I mean I was just thinking the other day I did a job for a client and she had a small it was like a side return it's almost like a little courtyard side return and the window of the kitchen looked out onto this wall and I always think it's really important that you know if there is a window looking out whether it's into the garden or onto a wall it's important to kind of do something with that that space so she just had a white painted wall and we put some wires up against it and um, trained a clematis. And for me, the idea was that whenever she looked out the window, she was actually, it was like she was looking through at a picture. Yeah, that sounds really creative. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, I was also thinking as well in small spaces, you know, when you come out of the door, maybe having a trellis around the door so you actually, you know, you can keep it quite tight if you, you know, depending on what you plant but then you just have it going around the door and again that creates a frame and if it's a um, a climber with, with with scent as soon as you mm. go out you know you 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 experience that so Flo how would one of our listeners go about training a climber initially what are the stages to get it going okay so initially when you buy it, it might come with two or three bamboo canes that it's attached to if you're looking at that kind of situation it's probably going to go into a pot or a, a planter and I would say put it in a reasonably sized pot so something if it's going to be if it's a round pot about 40 centimeter diameter or you could put it in a, a terracotta planter a rectangular one and then I would initially train it vertically and tie it into the lower wires. I would put a succession of wires across maybe three or four, depending on the, the height of the wall, the, the eventual height of the climber. And then once it's tied in vertically, I would start to think about how I want to train it. You might want to go up and arch it so you get a fan shape, or you might want to tie them individually along the lines. It depends, again, on your creativity. This is the opportunity where you can get creative, isn't it? Absolutely. Say, uh, with training, when you're going to be actively manipulating them to do, to an extent, what you want them to do. Yes. And then thinking ahead to winter, you have got some of the lovely winter flowering clematis. My favourite is Wisley Cream, actually. Is it? There we go. Yes. Fabulous. <laughs> and I have to say, I really like one called Winter Beauty. Um, yes. It's lovely. It can take a while to get going, but when it does, uh, lovely little uh, creamy white bells, isn't it? It's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. I've really enjoyed that chat. I'm certainly thinking about what I'm going to put next in my garden along the line of climbers. So it's got me got me thinking. Thank you, Flo. Brilliant. My pleasure. It's been fun. So we've got you a shopping list and thought about fun ways to display them. But what about when they've got a bit out of control or are looking a bit worse for wear? 
I think it's about time we paid a visit to our plant advice team to hear from Becky Mealy. So this is the time of year when climbers are starting to kind of look like they're taking over. They've had a real nice bit of rain and the sunshine and you're probably feeling like you're a little bit like Sleeping Beauty with all these tendrils and bits to tie in. So this is a time when you need to start training them, maybe filling in some gaps on the wall or if you've got an early flowering jasmine, it's time to prune it back so it can grow back and recover for flowering next year. Or early flowering honeysuckle, I've just trimmed mine back. The pigeons have helped themselves to the berries. And so it's time to prune it back so it can recover, put on new growth for next year and flower nice and early again. But you do tend to get a lot of powdery mildew at this time of year because of the high temperatures. So ideally, these are better controlled if you're mulching and feeding. But if you've got a lot of fungal problems, you're often better pruning off the majority of the damage and growing the plant better. This is also a good time of year to have a look at some annual climbers. They'll be taking off. So one of my favourites is the Cabea scandens, which is the cup and saucer vine. It's got a lovely little cup and then like a flat area that does absolutely look like a saucer. This is a very large annual climber, but definitely worth growing for covering a nice big panel of a fence. Another one is good old Morning Glory, the Ipomoea tricolor, heavenly blue. That has lovely big wide blue flowers. This is a smaller annual climber. I actually grow this up my daughter's little shed and it just makes it quite nice and cheery at this time of year. And then also there's edible annual climbers. You know, it's nice to have something that looks pretty but also edible at the same time. So Lab Lab Purpurea's Ruby Moon is the hyacinth bean and you can actually eat the beans. It's a lovely purple foliage. So again, it's that's something a bit different, a little bit exotic in your garden. And then good old nasturtiums, climbing nasturtiums. You can eat the leaves and flowers of these, nice and peppery. But you do have to watch the black flies on these. So you do have to keep the, an eye on the tips. Best way with black flies, just pinching off the tips that are heavily affected or maybe even just getting the hose pipe and just lightly spraying them off um, just to knock them off where they're perching. One thing to remember with climbing roses and tying them in is always wear a hat with a brim. If you've ever experienced a rose thorn in the top of your head, you will know exactly what I mean. Always wear your hat when you're dealing with climbers. This year, Trachea burnums took quite a hard hit. So this is the evergreen false jasmine that a lot of people grow it's one of my favorite climbers for recommending when people want an evergreen climber this did really take a big hit this year with the winter but just looking at my neighbors at the moment it's absolutely completely recovered she did exactly what I told her to do which is trim off the dye back and now it's absolutely covered in green and lots of lovely blooms but it does look like it needs a little bit controlling because it's definitely going in her gutter so this is a time of year to making sure that your climbers are staying where they need to be and not in your gutters. So if you've got a new climbing rose, it's going to sound a bit mean, but I always recommend people to stop their new climbing roses from flowering to actually try and get them to bulk up and produce those stems for training in. Then also it just helps them produce that framework. And then later next year, you'll get more flowers and you'll have a happier, healthy climbing rose. Also, if plants have flowered for the summer, 
give them a feed, give them a, a liquid feed or maybe a balanced feed if you haven't fed them already, something like grow more or even just a mulch of your homemade compost just to try and give them a, a bit of a boost because um, they've done their job and it just helps them to grow nice and lush and repeat flower for next year. Climbers give you an extra depth to your garden they give you the height if you've got quite a small garden climbers are great at clothing your fences very good at disguising a fence or maybe a an ugly shed but they're also great for wildlife i've got lots of different climbers in my garden i really like my honeysuckle because I, I think i've got a blue tape nest in there it's, it actually gives a nice place for wildlife to shelter but it's also just makes everything just a lush green carpet, you know, around you on the wall. And it just makes it kind of like a nice romantic English garden. Why wouldn't you want climbers in your garden? Becky's mention of climbing roses has reminded me that if you want to hear more about roses of all types, listen to one of our previous episodes called Roses and Thorns, where we visited Wizzy's spectacular rose garden and heard about parasitoid wasps. Sadly, not all climbers have a good reputation. Honeysuckle and jasmine may be firm favourites, but we really mustn't forget the important role the humble ivy has to play, as author Gareth Richards explains. I love ivy because it's one of the most underappreciated plants out there. I mean, I can't think of another plant that is so versatile. So we think of ivy as just being a climber, but it's not. It can be a shrub, it can be a house plant, you can grow it as ground cover, and you can even have it as a bedding plant in your hanging baskets in winter. And it's really, really easy to grow and it has some amazing qualities to it. So people see ivy and they think it's a tree killer. They think it's a parasite and it's a building destroyer, but actually neither of those are true. So a parasite will actually lock into the system of its host. Ivy sits on the surface. The only time it will damage a tree is if it's an old tree that's not growing very fast and the ivy grows faster than the tree and it can become a little bit top heavy. But ivy will not harm your trees if they're growing well. And also saying it's a building destroyer, the RHS has done research and actually this isn't true. If your brickwork is sound, then ivy will sit very happily on the surface. I think we have these misconceptions because ivy grows really, really well. And sometimes we're scared of plants that just do their own thing. But actually ivy is such an important plant in the UK. It's so important for our wildlife. There's more than a hundred species of insects and 17 species of birds that feed on ivy in the UK. What I really love about ivy is it has this amazing ability to turn blank vertical spaces into tower blocks for wildlife. So if you go and stand by a tree that's covered in ivy or a wall in early to mid autumn, you will hear it roaring with life. The pollinators will be all over it. The bees, the butterflies absolutely love it because what ivy does is it provides an amazing resource of nectar and pollen late in the year when there's almost nothing else flowering. So actually it's a very important plant, particularly for honeybees because it helps them lay down their final stores to get through the winter. And that dense evergreen growth 
will help birds and all sorts of invertebrates shelter in bad weather. So actually, it is the most amazing plant for wildlife. Some scientists are actually calling for it to be called a keystone species, which means that it's one particular species that has a really positive impact for ecosystems. In the autumn, if you've got mature ivy in your garden or if you're out on a walk, have a look for the ivy bee. This is a lovely little bee. It looks just like a honeybee, but it's fluffy and ginger and it's an ivy specialist. So yeah, go and have a look, see if you can find it. And that's one of the many, many species of wildlife that just loves ivy. And it's not just wildlife that benefits from ivy, people benefit from it too. So if you have ivy on your house, it will keep your house warmer in the winter and cooler in the summer. It provides a fantastic level of insulation. Yes, you might have to get up a ladder and prune it once or twice a year, but actually that is so worth it in terms of saving money on your heating bills and providing a habitat for a host of different wildlife. Now NASA have done studies on ivy and they've also found that it can reduce indoor pollution. It's one of the best plants for doing that. There's a reason for growing ivy on your house and there's a reason for growing ivy in your house as well. I love a variety of ivy called buttercup because it is so brilliantly yellow green. And if you plant that in a shady spot, it's almost like the sun is shining on that wall. It will bring light into even the gloomiest spot. And that's one of the brilliant things about ivy. It's really, really shade tolerant and it will grow in the sun, but you can use it in all different kind of spaces in your garden. Like I said, you can have it as a ground cover so you can grow it between shrubs and underneath trees. You can grow it up your walls and fences. There's even a form called arborescent ivy. Now this is because ivy changes its shape as it grows. So when it's young, the young growth will climb. And then when it reaches a certain point, it gets to a certain age, it will shape shift and the leaves will go from being lobed to being oval and it will start flowering. And that's called the arborescent form. And if you take cuttings of that arborescent form, they will stay as shrubs, which is just fascinating, isn't it? It's genetically the same as this sprawling climber, but actually it looks completely different. If I wanted to win someone over to ivy, I would ask them to name another plant that can do so many things for us. It's something that can be a house plant, it can be a climber, it can be a shrub, it can be ground cover, you can grow it in your hanging baskets. And then if you grow it on your house, it keeps your house warm in the winter, cool in the summer, and it's good for wildlife. What more could you ask for? Thanks, Gareth. His book, RHS Weeds, The Beauty and Uses of 50 Vagabond Plants, can be ordered now from the RHS shop. Well, that's all for today's show. Climbers really are such valuable plants to have in the garden they are really great for wildlife they can provide shade if you grow them over a pergola and they're also really good to cover ugly surfaces and some screening if you've got neighbors you could grow them up something and then they can provide screening they really are so useful and there is a climber for every garden and every situation if you want to learn more on anything in today's episode just visit rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast Thanks for listening, and it's goodbye from me, Verity Bradbury. I'm off to grab my secateurs. The pruning won't do itself.
I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced-rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply. <laughs> 